get down on this one, kids. It's the plunge back at you, and we have a deluge of delirium that we have parsed and prepared for your pleasurable consumption. This veritable smorgasbord of content will cover everything from cowardly Democrats to Tucker Carlson's war on anti-white quote-unquote racism and Alex Jones's altogether terrible week. The brain juice guy got dunked on by teenagers on the internet. He waxed poetic about his current wife's bodacious schnoz. And surprisingly enough, he got slapped with a few harassment allegations. Our main story is the most recent flare-up of the ever-present China panic in outlets like the New York Times, The Economist, and other periodicals you see yuppies carrying on public transportation. We'll decide whether CPC Chairman Xi Jinping's decision to suspend his own term limits will bring back Mao's cultural revolution, and we'll mention Winnie the Pooh at least once. In the pop culture corner, we will cover the comedian Barry Crimmins and the Netflix documentary Call Me Lucky in a discussion about his life and career, as well as the contentious relationship between comedy and politics. Lastly, we will wrap up with a gothic southern tale to chill your bones before we bid you adieu. Welcome back to Plunge the Depths here on The Plunge. I'm Dan Spaventa at Spaventacular on Twitter, and I'm joined today by my compadre in the shit, Sam Wagstaff. That's right, folks. The slightly weirder voice on the audio. So what has Tim Kaine, former almost vice president... Maybe he's current almost vice president. Like, he got very close. Yeah, Tim Kaine is uh, the face of every white liberal man in Virginia who is deep down kind of a reactionary but likes to think that they're progressive. But he's been part of this voice of, like, liberal lawmakers who have been describing the you know the russia conspiracy and that the hacks on the what the dnc and podesta and wikileaks and all that shit as warfare as if the russian state has committed an act of war against the u.s through these hacks which is pretty crazy kane came out and said, we've lost what may be the first real cyber war that our nation has been in. Oh my god, shut the fuck up. And that isn't the only Democrat fuckery I want to bring up. Did you see this thing where in, this is some Virginia politics going on, but Mark Keem, who is a delegate in the House of Delegates from Fairfax County, basically made a joke at the expense of his fellow Democratic delegate, Lee Carter, who is a DSA-aligned delegate who was elected, I think, Prince William County, Virginia. And what he did was he put, I think, an image of the hammer and sickle, you know, the communist insignia. He put it up on an iPad and held it up for the camera behind Lee Carter as Lee Carter was talking. 
So just making a joke behind the man's back. <laughs> Very <laughs> professional. Super professional, obviously. And I want to play the audio from what Lee Carter was saying. And let's play that here. They had to move out to Fairfax because they couldn't afford it. Then they couldn't afford Fairfax. They had to move out to Manassas. Now they can't afford Manassas. They're having to move out to Fauquier and Stafford. And they're driving an hour and a half each way every morning uh, to, to go to a job that pays $9 an hour. And in my district, we've got entire low-income neighborhoods where we're having to fight the bulldozers. Because we've got out-of-state money that's trying to come in and buy up property that people are living on right now and kicking them out. And, you know, it, it may make the locality look richer on paper. It'll look like you've done something about poverty. But at the end of the day, if this does what, what <coughs> has happened in Northern Virginia, uh, what will happen in Southwest and Southside and the Eastern Shore and particularly, I think Petersburg is particularly susceptible to this. What will happen is you won't have any poor people in those localities anymore, but it won't be because you've helped. Sounded pretty reasonable to me. We, I'm not going to say when Mark Keem puts up the hammer and sickle sign because I don't even know when he did it. I didn't watch the video. I just listened to what Lee Carter was talking about, which sounds totally reasonable and rooted in politics. At no point does he come off as like, a radical you know what a communist or anything but just very unprofessional and whack we should also play the audio from mark keem's apology for this Let's play that here uh, thank you mr speaker ladies and gentlemen of the house uh, last week we heard a, a wonderful statement from uh, my good friend from virginia beach about the need for civility trust and decorum and being cordial and, and courtesy with each other and i took that to heart last week, and I applauded him for his uh, courage in speaking up. I unfortunately failed to pass the test myself. Uh, this morning, I had an incident where uh, I believe I violated uh, Rule 57 of the House Rules uh, myself. I apologize to the body and to my good friend from uh, Prince William County for putting himself in that position, and uh, I will try my best to uh, live up to my standards as a member of this body going forward. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. So, is he suggesting with this hammer and sickle thing that that is the cause of the doomed party i think a lot of the people who are punching left the hardest are these liberal people who are more right wing i guess more pro-economy pro-capitalism pro-corporate than the further left wing who are trying to push through this old third way clintonism by insulting their own colleagues i guess well I guess we can acknowledge how weak that is and move on to a genuine thoughts and prayers moment coming from a bunch of fucking Democrats. Yeah, baby. So two hours after the insanely fucking tragic Parkland shooting, which we covered in length on the last show, Evan Lukask, who is, I guess, a point of contact for the DCCC, which stands for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. This is the committee for the United States House of Representatives that works to elect Democrats to that body, essentially. And so they put out a lot of guidelines for representatives who want to basically get reelected. It's, it's, they're, they're the guide to keeping you in power. And that, Dan, if you are spending all your time figuring out how to 
please people and hold on to your own position. How is that going to affect your politics? Wouldn't that keep you a little more conservative? I guess because you want to enrage as few of the rich as possible because your entire uh, job is to be a telemarketer that works maybe six hours a week actually lawmaking. Yeah, I think that's a pretty fair assessment. So I'm just going to read this email that Evan Lukasque sent out to the Northeast region of... Basically, these emails go to the staffers who make the decisions as to what a politician will say in the aftermath of something like the Florida shooting. And he starts off, it's called, this subject is guidance on Florida shooting. He says, hi teams, as you probably have all heard now, there was a mass shooting at a high school in Florida. Initial coverage has reported multiple fatalities. I think it's okay to express your thoughts slash prayers on social media, but please be careful about what you post on social media. And I would not blast any statements right now. There will be a time for politics, but we are still understanding what happened here and gathering the facts. While I certainly understand the instinct to slam your opponent right now for their cowardice, and I'd like to as well, we also don't want to be accused of politicizing a tragedy. And for some of you with... Jesus. The last sentence is the most heinous. For some of you with more rural pro-Second Amendment districts, this may not be a subject we want to weigh in on at all. Just go out there, say that your thoughts and prayers are with them, and that you will continue to do nothing to avert this. That's what you. That's what the DCCC is telling people was telling people to do, basically. In another bleak governmental story, you brought to my attention this horrific Supreme Court ruling. Jennings versus Rodriguez is a case that basically, previous to this decision, immigrants were considered entitled to bond hearings every six months when they are detained meaning that every six months you would have hopefully the opportunity to put your faith forward and not be held in an immigration detention center which is usually not is different than a prison they're privately owned and are bad in the way that prisons are but they're almost they're worse because a lot of times the constitutional protections that prisoners have don't apply to immigrants and this is a very good example of how this happens in the court ruled in a five to three ruling with justice elena kagan recusing herself that immigrants do not have the right to these periodic bond hearings so this basically opens the 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 fucking floodgates for dhs to throw supposed immigrants in jail for forever if you don't have documents they can basically just throw you in jail forever uh we'll link to the full opinion it's worth reading the dissenting opinions and i think this is going to get challenged on constitutional grounds because the dissenting opinion talks mainly about how one of the things that we hope the fifth amendment does is prevent uh, this extended fucking detention without cause but at the end of the day, we have seen, as I said earlier, that the Constitution frequently is not applied to immigrants or non-citizens. So I think this just goes to show how the courts will not save you. The courts tend to enforce the rule of law, which does not have average people's interests in mind. Good. And we've talked about this rhetoric, like, oh, he could be the next Bill Gates, and, like, it shouldn't matter what a person individually, like, what kind of, like, capitalist they they have the potential to be, like, they, they should have value as a human being beyond that. Yeah, that's what I find so heinous about that 
people, I think, know that it's not PC to call undocumented immigrants illegal, but people haven't taken it to heart that you shouldn't call documented immigrants legal immigrants because you're basically saying the same thing about people who don't have documents. And I, I, it's just, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have to be such a good capitalist to get to be treated like a human being. This might actually be a good time to, to talk about that Melania Trump story that's been going around lately. Yeah, let's do it. Have you so seen that, I, I didn't. I didn't read about this, so I, I've seen a few tweets from the resistance crowd to this effect that, like, let's see your papers. Yeah, people are demanding to see Melania Trump's papers, basically, because it's become known that she is the holder of an EB-1 visa that is an employment-based green card of first preference. I'll attach the stipulations for the EB-1 visa, the three categories it sets aside for people who are eligible for the EB-1 visa, for the EB-1 visa and the subsequent green card are extraordinary ability is one category, outstanding professors and researchers is the second, and multinational managers or executives are the third. I think the third is the most common one, but Basically, I saw a Washington Post article that specifically talked about this. I think a lot of liberals are demanding to they're, – they're saying that Melania Trump was not a model of an, a significant enough status to secure an EB-1 visa. All of a sudden, these all these libs are like immigration attorneys, and they, they are all of a sudden experts on this. I don't think that the people who are making this critique are aware of – how this works and this idea that she doesn't deserve it is problematic i really don't think it's a good line of argument for left-leaning people to run with as an anti-trump thing or yeah this is like louise men's shit they're just talking out of their ass garland game theory like it totally is it totally is and obviously it's hypocritical for trump to be so anti-immigration but i don't think that even I don't think mentioning hypocritical stances really does anything to knock the guy down a a, a notch. Did you realize Trump said that there should be more gun control and then met with the NRA next day and said they had a very great talk? Like, what what does that solve by pointing out that he's hypocritical? Like, it's fucking, you're just going to drive yourself insane. Because, like, yes, he is. (laughs) Yes, you're right. (laughs) My favorite part of this article was that they contacted Melania's immigration attorney and her family, and all of them declined to comment on whether she spent, sponsored her parents for green cards. Obviously, the attorney declined to provide sl- a copy of fucking Melania Trump's approved EB-1 petition because that's a huge violation of your, your fucking the confidentiality that a lawyer should enjoy with his fucking client. And you don't know what the legal standard for an EB-1 visa is, so you shouldn't be acting like she didn't measure up to this like godlike standard. They've been throwing around that thing. They call it the Einstein visa. They've been quoting the Congress people who worked on the Immigration and Nationality Act. You can't act like laws provide this in fallible standard that people have to measure up to is my read on it like laws are arbitrary (laughs) i feel like attacks against melania trump are just kind of like fucking weak there's so many better ways to deploy your 
like manic like you know desire to be like woodward and bernstein on the trumps yeah. right now yeah and also a great of all the conspiracies you could think of with trump a conspiracy to get a green card seems like the fucking most benign out of all of them so i want to transition into this horrific story about mcdonald's sending the szechuan sauce which led to these riots at mcdonald's locations uh from rick and morty fans uh in the fall uh mcdonald's launched a serial parody podcast which tries to be like a jokey like we screwed up guys and it has like dead mouse telling his Szechuan sauce story and it's like about how they like botched the distribution it's disgusting this is in the words of jesse thorne you know he's been podcasting for a really long time smart guy he hosts a great npr show called bullseye this was his comments on twitter about this he said like mcdonald's this makes me want to barf frankly if you subscribe to a mcdonald's branded podcast you're taking money out of the podcasts of all the not branded podcasts you love if they think they can lose the middleman, in this case, independent content, they will do so. So, if you subscribe to a McDonald's podcast, what you're telling the advertisers is, we don't have to, like, take a chance on these independent podcasts. We can just play it safe, give to these big brands, make them more money, and it's an atrocious cycle for hacky fucking content don't celebrate this stupid Szechuan sauce thing. I mean, Sam, sorry, I feel like I've been ranting here. <laughs> I think you're totally within your rights to do so. I, at a more general level, even if you're not going to take the conscious capitalism argument into account, I would think that hopefully our listeners and other people would prefer to enjoy original programming that's not created by a corporation. And also that... The presence of a McDonald's podcast on your podcast app or wherever you listen to, doesn't that hurt you? Doesn't that, doesn't that feel, isn't that like, doesn't that, isn't that painful? It hurts me knowing it exists. Doesn't it just feel like hot fucking McDonald's grease and like the tears of a, an exploited worker in your pocket? Really? Like, I feel like I would be unable to click on some McDonald's funded shit on my podcast app. So it's not the first of its kind. There have been branded content podcasts. It's quite similar to perhaps sponsored content on your favorite website. As podcasters ourselves and fans of the medium, and, you know, I have so much respect for people who worked hard to kind of pioneer the medium. Like, why would you support, like, McDonald's of all things? If you go on your podcasting app, you can find a broke 45-year-old or something who is just a brilliant genius and will teach you for free. Can about... we shout out a few? I mean, let's, like, you you need some podcasts? What, what are your favorites lately? Okay, like, ones that maybe people haven't heard of that they should check out. I mean, yeah. Champagne Sharks. I don't necessarily agree with everything they say, but biting fucking deep dives into pop culture, race, and economic. It's such a brilliant podcast made by just three dudes. T on Twitter. At Ricky Rawls. But either way, like, you get these people who are these underrated fucking geniuses who are willing to give you this content 
frequently for free like look at street fight radio look at citations needed what a hell of a way to die this is hell's a great show the majority report michael brooks show uh intercepted with jeremy scahill and then just the amount of not serious content like there's so many great comedians who have podcasts not even just you know interview based just history like there's the age of napoleon there's the dollop there's uh i don't know there's so much good shit don't fucking listen to a mcdonald's thing I don't know, it just seems like a brand, like, further asserting its dominance over us. Like, no, they're going to take over fucking podcasting, too. You know, it's like a sanitized, corporatized, like, personality. Like, a fucking, like, Super Bowl commercial gone long form. Hell no. So, let's move on. The Uber and Lyft drivers earning a very, very bad wage now can actually... Have a number to put on that. A new study out of MIT says the median profit for a Uber or Lyft driver is $3.37 per hour. Yeah, and that's coming out of the vicious left-wing fucking <laughs> MIT. <laughs> it's like the, the most fucking thugs. technical and methodological outfit I can think of coming out with this study that reflects what people on the left have been saying all along, which is that Uber and Lyft drivers and in general, people who work in the ride share or the sharing economy don't make any fucking money. It's like a starvation wage. Not to mention that they are independent contractors who don't get a fucking sick leave, health care, any benefits, retire. I mean, I mean, I think they actually maybe are able to have some sort of retirement account, but I don't even fucking know. It's just really unfortunate that like, you know, we're deluded to think that, it is like a fair wage that they're earning and that the company can pay people at the top of its company so much money while phasing out the driver part entirely, ultimately. Absolutely. And you know what's so fucking heinous also is that if people criticize, like you said, Uber and Lyft for not offering benefits, but... Okay, so let's say you had an Uber retirement account, like an Uber 401k. You de- what deposit like 10% of your income into that shit. You make $4 an hour. You're going to have like 50 bucks by the time you're like retired. <laughs> so what if people had to pay for their health insurance, at a, even if it was at a subsidized rate through the company, like if you had to pay for that from your $4 per hour, it would just cut your wages even more. It's barely even a victory. <laughs> like it's so fucking bad. So, we're going to dive back to the New York Times op-ed section today, and I couldn't fucking take my eyes off this headline. Go ahead, millennials, destroy us, by Tim Kreider. (gasps) As with all historic tipping points, it seems inevitable in retrospect. Of course, it was the young people, the actual victims of the slaughter, who have finally begun to turn the tide against guns in the country. Kids don't have money and can't vote, and until now, burying a few dozen a year has apparently been a price that lots of Americans were willing to pay to hold on to the props of their pathetic role-playing fantasies. But they forgot what adults always forget, that our children grow up and remember everything and forgive nothing. Those kids have suddenly understood how their little lives were ever worth to the people in power, as soon, and they'll soon begin to realize how efficient and endless are the mechanism of governance intended to deflect their appeals, exhaust their energy, deflete their passion, and deflete them. <laughs> so this is where it starts, right? It's this sort of like, well, you know, I tried, and now it's your chance, and you're just going to fail once you face the mechanisms of governance. 
And he goes on to... (laughs) I am creeped out by the increasing dogmatism and intolerance of millennials and the left. I felt a generational divide open up under me last year when everyone under 40 seemed to agree that Dana Schultz's painting of Emmett Till and his coffin should be removed from the Whitney Biennial. This is a very good example of how these kinds of writers employ the straw man method of argument by choosing one fucking thing to represent the way that all people on the left feel. In this case, the way you felt about that painting, which I heard a lot of different opinions on from a wide range of different people. There was no fucking consensus amongst people under 40. It was a hot topic, and I remember a lot of people feeling very strongly about it. But to categorize that as some example of how millennials on the left are intolerant is... Just hack, hack, hack level writing. So fucking bad. And he later points out that (laughs) this uprising of the young against the ossified monolithic power of the NRA has reminded me that the flaws of youth, its ignorance, naivete, and passionate Manichaean idealism are also its strengths. It's so, like, condescending. Like, it's as if, like, you know something they don't, which, like... Ultimately, like, based on what you're sharing here, I feel like you have nothing to impart but, like, your own, like, crust. It vacillates between this weird self-flagellation, like, oh, I'm a problematic white baby boomer, but I know how things are. He brings up Harvey Weinstein, like... Yeah, he goes all over the place trying to find examples to back up his shitty reading of young activism. And he winds up contradicting himself a million times. And he ends up, after saying, just dissing millennials and saying that, like, we're all fucking idiots and that we're dogmatic leftists and we all want art to be torn off the walls or whatever bullshit he was saying about us. He ends with this paragraph. It is fucking preposterous to read. He says, my message as an aging Gen Xer to millennials and those coming after them is go get us, take us down. All those cringing provincials who still think climate change is a hoax. That being transgender is a fad or that socialism means purges and re-education camps. Rid the world of all of our outmoded opinions, vestigial prejudices, and rotten institutions. Like, okay, that's what they were trying to do in the first place. And then you started complaining. And then you ended – it's the stupidest, like, like headspace – dipshit headspace writing is brooksian. It's David Brooksian and sort of thing you can only find in the fucking New York Times op-ed section. So Pence said abortion will end in the U.S. in our time, which, like, we all know isn't true. You're never going to end abortion. You're going to end, like, safe abortion. Yeah. This tyrannical government in which women can get help and health care to make decisions about their own bodies, we will end this (laughs) tyrannical government. If all of us do all we can, this is a literal quote, We can, once again, in our time, restore the sanctity of life to the center of American law. That's fucking sweet. That's actually great. Because that means that if we do anything less than that, we cannot end abortion, which is what he's trying to say to do. So if all of us do less than all we can to overturn Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade will stay in place. So, guys, we did it. Turning the fucking clock back fucking decades. Where is this religious delusion? It makes no sense, but I will remind our listeners that the Republicans control very many state legislatures, 
if they gain control of a few more, they will have the two-thirds majority in state legislatures that they need to literally pass constitutional amendments. So in that case, the Republicans could overturn Roe v. Wade. They could even fucking pass re-illegalize slavery <laughs> so <laughs> vote democrat even if you don't like them please just vote democrat they need all the help you can so let's play the audio of tucker carlson's very courageous segment from last week universities are obsessed they say with stamping out harassment they've got whole programs dedicated to that but not all harassment some is fine it turns out Ryan Wolf is a student at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. He says he's faced repeated harassment, verbal and racial harassment, for his views. School officials, though, say they're not going to do anything about it, probably because they don't like his views. Ryan Wolf joins us tonight. Ryan, what happened? Thanks for having me on, Tucker. Um, Thanks. So back uh, before the 2016 election, we had a panel um, talk that was hosted by the College Republicans, Wake the Vote, and the Wake Forest Review, which is the conservative publication on our campus and kind of before, during, and after this event, uh, there were messages about me on social media and in group chats and uh, that were kind of trying to intimidate me. Um, and then after the event, I was handed a box of saltine crackers and in a group chat during the event, uh, a student photoshopped my face onto a cracker. And uh, so our school has fairly strict um, verbal abuse, harassment. And I, but, and but by the way, just to pause, I assume that's a, that's a slur against your ethnicity, correct? Uh, yes, that's I, how yeah. it was intended, absolutely. And so we have pretty strict rules about harassment at our school, um, which you know uh, clearly don't abide by the First Amendment. Um, but uh, we are trying to hold all students to the same standard. So, Sam, what do you make of the sick liberals, the disgusting, disgusting liberals who photoshopped this brave man's face onto a saltine cracker and hey oh whoa whoa, whoa. that's this dan that's the c word okay i don't want to have to hear that hate speech on my radio program <laughs> oh so you mean it was racist against his whiteness uh dan the most oppressed people today are obviously we all know white male conservatives <laughs> so this is just you know if the libs want it one way, they want to get rid of the right's ability to say that the Holocaust didn't happen and simultaneously should happen again, then we also have to get rid of the libs who will use these vicious anti-white slurs, right? That's just fair. Yeah, I mean, what if, hey, what if he photoshopped a picture of something really racist that said the N-word on it? And put it up. What would happen to him, huh? You think it's funny to call me a cracker, but when I say that slavery should still be legal, you get mad. What's up with that? According to Daily Caller, he was called mayonnaise monster looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> the M word. <laughs> Our next persecuted conservative. The what has essentially transformed into garbage state media alex jones yeah baby sam what a week for the info wars king yeah he met his match in a bunch of like 17 year olds so this was a crazy week over at info wars which i felt needed to be discussed now this is crazy info wars received two strikes for 
their YouTube account for a video about the Florida shooting, which apparently had something to do with the crisis actor theory, some shit that he's alleged before in previous shootings. And according to YouTube's community guidelines, if an account gets two strikes for violating the rules, no new videos can be posted from the account for two weeks. And if the Alex Jones channel gets another strike, the channel will be killed off. 2.2 million subscribers, billions of views. He has made millions of dollars. And Alex Jones met his match this week. Alex Jones challenging David Hogg, a survivor of the Parkland shooting and outspoken gun activist in the weeks since. The challenge. Why don't you do your Alex Jones voice? I feel you got a better one than me. Okay, you start off. You'll be David Hogg. You do the initial tweet. Hey, Alex Jones, you seem to be really confused as to what I do, who I am. I'd love to come on and clear some of this up because clearly as a shit journalist, you can't clearly. And then he po also posted before that something to the effect of like when you, your like brain pills make you thick or something. And it was like Alex Jones like, shirtless <laughs> yeah, before and so after. Well. So that's why we need the teens right now in this Trump world. Like, they're the only ones with, like, the real fucking credibility because they know how to, like, troll. But, all right. Uh, so, so yes, the David Hogg line, like, uh, you're a shit journalist. Clearly, you're a shit journal as a journalist. Clearly, as a shit journalist, uh, you can't see clearly. It would be fantastic for you to come on. Uh, I would be very thankful for that. I want to set the record straight and clear things up between you and I. Uh, uh, so he, he, I'm gonna he tweets at him, like, four times in a row, just Adam's replying to himself. Uh, David Hogg, I would love to have you on today to uh, clear up some of the disinformation that has been put out about my statements uh, concerning the tragedy. I noticed that you're calling me a, a shit journalist and a snake oil salesman when I have never called you any disparaging names. Also, I have never been sued by survivors of any school shooting. Please stop the defamation. My YouTube channel, with two plus billion views, has been frozen after CNN lobbied for it to be closed in your name. Again, Mr. Hogg, in your name, CNN has shut down my speech on YouTube. It is critical that you come out and support the First Amendment and not let them use you to end free speech. At David Hogg, DM me your email and my producer will set you up. Thank you. So YouTube apparently is like the main platform where InfoWars hosts its videos. So, you know, he's got millions of fucking dollars. He can set up another platform, but it, he would lose a significant chunk of traffic because... You know, a lot of its uh, rise was because it comes up in people's suggested feeds. And then, obviously, once uh, he became more of a, a mainstream, unfortunately, figure in, tw yeah. in the 2016 election, <laughs> we've seen Alex Jones rise to prominence. But he certainly has, you know, more fascistic, like, right-wing views perhaps then like a uh, freewheeling conspiracy theory views and yeah you have anything else to say about the hog I, fight i think the worst of alex jones is claiming his claiming that school shootings don't happen or are fake or that the people who the, the kids who try to have the world change a little bit and be better after this fucking tragedy and you know god forbid someone should, should learn from something as if they owe him something yes yeah, he's acting it, – it, it's so fucking heinous, and he deserves so wholeheartedly to be called on his conspiracy theory bullshit by the exact kids that 
he fucking spreads heinous conspiracy theories about. So later last week, what a shocking revelation. InfoWars owner Alex Jones allegedly bullied, discriminated, and sexually harassed a number of his employees, according to Equal Employment Opportunity Commission complaints obtained by the Daily Mail. Rob Jacobson, who worked at the conspiracy site for 13 years, alleges that Jones called him the Jewish individual (laughs) and the resident Jew before he was fired. Ashley Beckford, who is African-American, alleges that Jones and others mocked her for her race and denied her promotions. She also claims that Jones grabbed my butt after initiating a side hug and was grooming her for sexual exploitation. And that's in quotes. Jones denied the claims. I'm not going to talk about i'm not going to talk about former employees he said i mean nobody accuses me of stuff like that wow that's all i can say that's total bullshit i think the ashley beckford also claimed that alex jones said to her something like who wouldn't want a black wife christ (laughs) so i do have a bit of a read on Rob Jacobson, though, he worked there for 13 years. Yeah, motherfucker, and, I'm sorry. Like, Yeah, who the fuck are you? I'm sorry. Like, I'm, we're, Dan and I are both Jewish. I, you know, I talked, I've talked about how I worked at the NRA. When I showed up at the NRA, I knew, number one, I've never not been singled out for being Jewish in a workplace. Not once. Never had a workplace in which I was not singled out for being Jewish. So that's just something I've had to get come to terms with. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to victim blame the guy or anything, but if you're working for Alex Jones for 13 years and he, the worst he calls you was like the Jewish individual. And think of the like shit the he was pushing Jew. at that point, the fucking like nine 11 conspiracies, the, you know, conspiracy theories about like school shootings that he was doing even back then. Like this motherfucker, like I have no sympathy for him being, well, he called me some mean names about my like, <laughs> This is the guy who's on TV screaming about, like, Lloyd Blankfein and the globalists constantly. Like, globalist obviously being a euphemism for Jew. Yeah, of course. Why do you think people use it to refer to Jared Kushner? And or, like, George Soros. So, let's talk about how Alex clapped back and later Fallout uh, that InfoWars faced. Let's play a clip right now of Alex Jones defending himself from anti-Semitism charges. Soros is a... Nazi collaborator that helped round up thousands of his fellow Jews, and then he has groups saying, I'm a Nazi collaborator, when he's a Nazi. I mean, it just shows how reprobate and bankrupt the leftists are. And she's my ex-wife now. And, you know, it's my uh, my new wife's, her pedigree's uh, German, three-quarters German from Omaha, and uh, a, a quarter Irish, and I'm proud of that background. And the anti-Semites call her a... Uh, Call her Jewish and everything else. And if she was, I'd be proud of it. But no, she's got a noble nose, but she's not Jewish. So, you know, that's what all this comes down to, ladies and gentlemen. And it just is insane. Yeah, uh, my wife, uh, she's got a noble nose, but she's not Jewish. Huge nose. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, They're they're, uh, Jewish actors. And my wife, she's very noble. The other thing I was thinking about him doing was... uh, Excuse me, uh, all these uh, accusations of my uh, my uh, sexual harassment and uh, slurs are obviously the work of the fact that I had a big bowl of chili that day. Uh, when I have a big bowl of chili, 
I am not responsible for any uh, racist slurs or or statements or butt grabbing that may occur in the Infowars uh, offices. Uh, please also buy the brain pills, the coffee, all the other bullshit I sell. Uh, uh, once again, big bullshit. Oh, maybe he called him the resident Jew and, uh, you know, did the groping when he was doing his annual test of the George Soros weed. Oh, right. I forgot about it. Yeah, for all the folks who don't remember that one, he claimed during his weird custody battle that he smokes weed, what, like once a year to determine the potency and that George Soros is making weed stronger. And he's able to tell just by smoking weed like once a year. Well, how do you think Alex Jones would react to like the day that Infowars is shut down on YouTube or whatever? I think that he probably would have a big bowl of chili. Smoke him up some George Soros weed. And then he would go and go on Patreon and just put the most insane screed up there and have... He'd instantly become the top Patreon podcast. He'd have, like, the double the Chapo money in, like, a week. And he would have so much fucking material, unfortunately. I feel like he would just be like... Listen, folks, 17-year-olds have conspired against me. They've used chili to confuse me and lead me to have my government shut down by YouTube and the globalists. George Soros, he would just go, come back with so much fun. It wouldn't be like the O'Reilly thing. And it would be like a shirtless periscope. Oh, my God, yeah. He'd be, like, flexing and drinking the brain juice and sucking in his... I think that picture that the David Hogg owned him with where he said that the brain juice just makes Alex Jones thick. Really, all the, the difference that you see in, like, Alex Jones's transformative photo, like, 40-day journey, as documented by that before and after photo, is that Alex Jones is just sucking his gut in in the second photo. Before our main story, we have a moment from this week, Dick's Sporting Goods, Walmart. Oh, my God, did you see that thing where Seinfeld to 2000 got a cease and desist from the Olive Garden lawyers for the like quite obviously satirical tweet that I'm glad that Olive Garden will stop selling AR-15s to under 21 year olds <laughs> or something. What, that's not protected speech? Come on. There's people boycotting Dick Sporting Goods to own the libs. There are definitely people doing that, but I think the most nauseating thing about the Dick Sporting Goods thing where they're like, we won't sell guns anymore or they won't sell assault rifles specifically is that dan you told me they have done this before after some shootings and then they just go back to selling them afterwards right there was uh some coverage that uh showed that like they made similar proclamations after sandy hook and then kind of just like they didn't stay in effect for yeah all that long and the like the funniest thing was someone like there was like a viral tweet that was like someone like in conservative land was like i've never heard of someone even buying a, like an assault rifle at dick sporting goods and someone was like literally fucking nicholas cruz the shooter in the high school bought his assault rifle at dick he, sporting he didn't goods. buy the one that he used he bought a shotgun from them but still same idea i've been seeing a lot of like liberal like you know, Boston consulting group employees basically coming out and saying like, this is how 
what leadership looks like today is Dick Sporting Goods, like, refusing to sell guns. I'm like, you are a slave if that's your mentality. If you really the best you can hope for is, like, your corporate overlords making a publicity stunt, then you are just, it's all over for you. You have no agency, and you are a stooge. <laughs> yeah, like, Ana Navarro, like, I'm buying something from Dick Sporting Goods right oh. now. Anything. It's, like, the politics of these people in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, if the battle is between, like, politicians and corporations then you're you're losing anyway you're you know like whoever wins there you lose so dumb thing to get behind and i also wanted to before we pivot to our main story i wanted to bring up this extremely heinous marco rubio tweet that you showed me (laughs) so marco rubio linked to an opinion piece in the washington post and he says opinion piece asks Is anyone paying attention to China? The answer is no, not enough people are. I will say it again while we were distracted by the outrage of the day. The direction hashtag China is headed in is the single biggest challenge facing the U.S. and the world. This sounds kind of like some sort of pivot because Rubio has been taking a lot of heat for his weak-ass positions on guns. (laughs) Exactly. This is clearly a distraction. Like, you think it's bad here. Let's talk about something that's happening on the clear other side of the fucking planet. And I, you know what? I usually don't like to meet conservatives on their own terms in arguments because it's a waste of my time. They always set the goalposts so narrow that only their worldview can fit through. And we don't need to do that. But as long as Marco Rubio wants to bring up China... I have a big nerdy obsession with China and Chinese politics, and it's something that people on the West really badly understand. So for our main story, I wanted to spend a little bit of time on this whole fucking uproar that people have been having over the general secretary of the the Communist Party of China, Xi Jinping, and his consolidation of power. And most specifically, he recently ended term limits for his own position, which has led all these like New York Times, like hashtag, you know, free world capitalists basically to say that he's like the second coming of Mao Zedong. (laughs) Just tell me like, how did it get to Mao? And like, how did it get to Ping from Mao? So Mao and the Chinese communists were met with the same problem as uh, Lenin in Russia, which was finding a way to transition to socialism when Russia and China both were agrarian based. They had massive peasantries. So the idea is that some people would say you need like liberal what we have now like a liberal capitalist government to be able to transition to you know socialism and then communism back then in Russia and China they they were confronted with the fact that the peasantry was not developed the way that like workers in the in the western world were so Mao had to kind of find a way to get them to trans. And that's why you see under Mao these pushes for rapid development and rapid growth. And despite the failures of Mao's reign, he did double the population and set the stage for the industrialization that we saw under Deng Xiaoping, his successor, who after Mao, they wanted to relax on the cult of personality and the communism. And they allowed some more liberalization of the private sector and they kind of created the economic circumstances that China has now where they're, they have a vertically integrated economy, economy that is very closely tied to its, it's a kind of a mix of a planned economy and a market economy and the private and public center are kind of intertwined more so than in the West. And 
right now Xi Jinping is the is the head of China where and China is at the height of its economic power at this point. And now that Trump is president of the US, there's a lot of this fear of a vacuum a power vacuum in the world now that the US, which was the dominant superpower, is in remission and China is kind of expanding. They've been investing heavily abroad in the uh in the Belt Road initiative that Xi Jinping has been pushing forward. And a lot of these fucking pundits are very afraid that if Xi Jinping and China are the dominant forces in the world and that the U.S. is not, that the world will get worse because China's authoritarian and backwards. So there seems to be this prevailing fear that, like, Xi Xi will ascend to perhaps like this cult of personality position like Mao did and and, and it'll be like the world's problem like why do you think that like this is their fear because of like an American exceptionalism thing that is exactly the reason they're just afraid of having a superpower that's not the US they're like we don't speak Chinese we don't know what they're talking about they're communists it's bad if they're in power it's good if we're in power and the world should deal with that and granted I mean Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China are not perfect by any measure and I'm not here to be a Mao apologist or a she apologist particularly like did you hear dan that uh they the, the things they ban on weibo on chinese twitter is so are so preposterous one of them is winnie the pooh people have noticed that winnie the pooh looks a lot like xi jinping and they and so now they banned winnie the pooh from weibo because they were using it to make fun of him I sent one of my roommates a picture of Mao bathing in the stream, which I sent to you. No, as in the well. Yangtze River. He, yeah, and he was like, "I thought that was Stavi baby too." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mao was obsessed with like swimming as like a, def- a demonstration of peasant virility. <laughs> it's pretty funny. So, what? How does she compare to him? totally different circumstances they're totally different circumstances she is the head of china at a time when china is very comfortable in his position as like a world superpower and is still enjoying its its, it's growth is slowing down and it's going to have to come to terms with that and this communist party of china is going to have to continue to establish its legitimacy which previously its legitimacy was based on the revolution. Now I think it's more based on the economic security that people who are, have, that the middle class has been able to attain in China. And in the future, as that growth slows down, it's going to have to find a way to like continue to establish that legitimacy. And that's, that's seen as a challenge that Xi Jinping will have to encounter. But Xi Jinping doesn't have to like develop China's industrial output the way that Mao and Deng Xiaoping had to the way that like the the 20 those communists had to the way that the revolutionary generation had to like the long marchers it's not the same and this is a wildly different China and it's just very incongruous with history and the main point I want to get to is this in the New York Times in the Economist and a lot of these like free world you know, left-wing but, like, capitalist newspapers. You see this, like, weird obsession with yet another Cold War. We have the new Cold War with Russia, but now the New York Times has an article that says Xi Jinping extends power and China braces for a new Cold War. Like, I think it's just very anachronistic. I think it's trying to find some conflict to justify their own worldview without an understanding of history or how... Chinese politics work like Xi Jinping wanting to extend his rule is not in and of itself a sign 
of authoritarianism. And clearly people are also arguing other changes that he's making and his general consolidation of power as his lending towards authoritarianism. But that's not how Mao consolidated his power. Mao was not, did not work in bureaucracy. So I'm going to this article in The Economist that says that Xi Jinping is the biggest, is the world's most powerful man because Trump is, is so incompetent. And it has a lot of these tropes that I talked about. It has the fear that the argument that Trump is less dangerous than Xi, which is, I think, insane. Uh, the It points to Xi using these politi- like political maneuvering and bu- bureaucratic consolidation as an example of how he's similar to Mao. As you saw in the documentary, Dan, that's not how Mao worked. Mao was very idealistic and anti-bureaucratic. He mainly used his cult of personality to encourage peasants to form their own organizations, like the communes, you saw that with the struggle sessions, and some of the more stupid things like the backyard furnaces, obviously, which are turned out to be a massive catastrophic failure. <laughs> so can we talk about that a little bit? Because it was like this, uh, he he made everyone take all their metal objects yeah. and like melt them down and it just made inferior yeah, steel. Yeah, obviously you can't, so it you couldn't can't be have used. like a backyard furnace. But yeah, he had this idealistic, he believed a lot in like traditional medicine too. And a lot of that is an issue and definitely an issue that you could see with personality politics. But I don't think it's the same thing as Xi Jinping by any stretch of the imagination. Xi Jinping would never tell people to like go make backyard steel furnaces. And, you know, you'll see that in the Cultural Revolution. Mao told students to form the Red Guards and struggle their teachers. I don't see Xi Jinping doing that. I'd see him more doing the reverse. So I don't think that you can say that they're similar in that way. I think that another trope I actually forgot about is that a lot of these articles mention that like Xi Jinping is haunted by the fate of the Soviet Union. So like, Dan, what do you know about the fall of the Soviet Union? Oh, the fall of the Soviet Union? Uh, Not much. So basically one of the things that people don't realize about the fall of the Soviet Union, which happened in 1991 in our lifetime, it actually happened the day after I was born, (laughs) but Russian life expectancy in the 1990s just plummeted. Age-adjusted mortality rose by 33% between 1990 and 1994. Life expectancy decreased by, like, five years. And the idea that she is only trying to hold on to power and avoid a Soviet Union-style fall of the in-name communist system... The idea that he's only doing that to protect his own position is really disingenuous because if imagine if China, a, ma- a massive country of 1.4 billion people, which still has a large rural population and a burgeoning middle class, lost all of that, you'd have billions, like over a billion people who would see their, their fucking life expectancy decline to that level. That's insane. The idea that like he's just doing it to preserve his own position, like, oh, it's good to be the emperor, is bullshit. <laughs> Yeah, and it's not everything needs to be read under the Trumpian lens. It's true. And I I linked to like a bunch of examples of this. There was one quote from that Economist article that was so heinous. He said, oh, no, no, no. The one that I thought was really bad was the the monkey cage article, which was written by a, a scholar of Chinese history. So it's very disingenuous, I think. And it has like three bullet points. It's one of those like very annoying explaining pieces like the vox you know five reasons why you should think this is good have you oh, seen those yeah. i mean that's their bread and butter that's what vox is all about it's very uh dry uh you know encyclopedia-esque uh... it's also one where he makes a broad claim 
like personalization of power is dangerous and then he'll have a hyperlink on it and it just links to you know an, an anti-authoritarian critique from michael svolik who is a, a western scholar he's at yale but i don't think that's a good way to prove your point by just linking to someone else who agrees with you like it doesn't use any data it's just you should believe us because we know it instead of you should believe us because of this. And it literally has one column that says reasons why you should be afraid. It's very, it's just very sensationalist. And I don't think it's rooted in any like legitimate fear. Uh, I linked to some actually good pieces in the South China morning post, which is more, obviously people would say it's more pro CPC, but you can even see there they have a, pretty good amount of op-eds about that are pro she and anti she there's more of a dialogue of opinion than you would expect and honestly like sometimes more dialogue of opinion than you see in western papers even when when especially when like left-wing and right-wing sources in the u.s tend to agree a lot and there's one from from about a year ago that questions western ideas about whether she is actually this all-powerful god emperor of the Chinese state, which is a massive multifaceted and multifactioned. And I also think it's annoying that people, anytime someone is pro CCP, if it's a Chinese source, they act like, oh, you're just controlled by the Chinese state. Whereas in the US, like a liberal fucking publication that says the US is the greatest country in the world, they never say that like that writer is brainwashed or anything. It's the same like kind of frantic, like manic sort of like, you know, conspiratorial thinking that, you know, we, we is so common in our culture on both sides of the aisle right now. And definitely, once again, we're not, we're not like CPC apologists here. The, there's a lot to critique about the way that the Chinese state has brought about the industrial growth that it has presided over. So it's just more complex than like these fucking hack writers are making it out to be. Xi Jinping is not Mao 2.0. It's objectively obvious. So let's move on to the pop culture corner this week, which is going to focus mainly on the documentary Call Me Lucky. The focus of the documentary is the late great comedian Barry Crimmins, who just passed away. Now, Sam, you'd never heard of this guy, right? Not really, no. Well, I didn't either, really, before I personally met him, which is the weird thing about my job, is sometimes uh, in the radio world, you, you meet people during the day, and, you know, you Google their name, and you realize, like, holy shit, like, this guy is, like, unbelievable. And what did you think of this documentary? I thought it was amazingly well done, and I thought it was such a fascinating subject. Watching Barry Crimmins' comedy... I thought of so much of the political satire that we have now in the kind of post-Daily Show world, of obviously of which we are kind of a part. We do a lot of political humor on this show. And I was so disappointed that, like, my touchstone for it was Jon Stewart and not Barry Crimmins. Because Barry Crimmins is so much more left-wing and sincere and genuine and cool than I, even Jon Stewart, who I think a lot of people would attach those same adjectives to him. Yeah, I loved how, like, a bunch of his... This this documentary had a shit ton of comedians, and uh, a lot of them came out of Boston, where Barry Crimmins kind of developed the comedy scene. And, you know, this included people like David Cross, Patton Oswalt, Stephen Wright, Mark Maron, Margaret Cho, 
they're all in the documentary and Bobcat Goldthwait, who was the director. How crazy was that whole thing where Crimmins essentially established this sort of like communist, like, I, I don't know, he like, he, he really supported like fair pay for all the comics and he would like out pay like every other club yeah. and keep like raising the um, amount he would pay the comics. So he really believed in like, actually like that, that comedy was like a labor and like that, I don't know, he created this, like, outside of Hollywood, this place where, like, people could develop and, like, look who it fucking created. Like, Patton Oswalt, Stephen Wright, like, these are some of the, you know, Mark Maron, he's some of the biggest names, you know, in the comedy world right now. And for decades, in Stephen Wright's case. Exactly. And it's a good, a good example of how an unconventional way to, like, struggle for labor and for getting, you know, fair wages, I guess, is very cool. Oh, and how cool was that that the it was like the high school friends were Bobcat Goldthwait and Tom Kenny, who yeah, was the voice was... of SpongeBob, and he's like yeah, from Mr. Show, like, yeah. and they their first open mic was was because uh, uh they saw an ad that had Barry uh, on it that like called him Bear Cat, and it was like in a Chinese restaurant. Yeah, the ding um, Yeah, he he had this like amazing life where he was really like a human rights activist. Yeah. And he, he went to Nicaragua to perform. In Managua, in the capital city, at, in the, at the height of kind of the violence there that the U.S. had perpetrated. And it was so amazing watching him talk about doing comedy for people who had been disfigured by the Contras. And, I mean, you see these fucking goons like, you know, Anna Navarro, that political commentator whose dad was a Contra and... Even though it's known, it's one of the things that never stuck on Reagan somehow was the fact that he committed this massive atrocity. And it was so amazing watching Barry Crimmins string that genuine empathy into humor that was so well-crafted that people, his his stand-up, it seemed like very normal people were just, normie people were laughing about how you know, Ronald Reagan is Satan and stuff like that. Yeah, like, it seems like his whole shtick was, like, he would be really speaking to, like, these, like, yuppie or, like, blue-collar even crowds in Boston, like, whatever, like, a Boston audience, whatever you think that would be. And, like, he's, he's like, yelling all these, like, leftist ideas, like, smoking cigarettes and, like, drinking and, like, <laughs> a real, like, stand-up. But he would impart these, like, you know, anti-capitalist, anti-fascist ideas in all of his work. Like, I, his friends that compared him to, like, they said he looked like Ambrose Bierce, Charles Manson, and Fidel Castro, a cross yeah. between Noam Chomsky and Bluto, like, that animated, <laughs> like... Anyway, the Fidel Castro thing is very spot on, especially towards, in his older years, he looks a lot like old Castro, but I think it's so genius to be able to create just good jokes that get people to laugh at these very intellectual ideas. Like my dad used to do stand-up and he hated it because he said the thing, the jokes you had to do were the most lowbrow and like fucking basic jokes just to work a room. And he could never do anything that he thought was inter interesting. So fucking Barry Crimmins was not just a stand-up. Like he was a fucking like stand-up entrepreneur and like a legend. And he was able to do the kind of comedy that he wanted on his own terms because he was so skilled at crafting these jokes. It's insanely brilliant. And he was uh, constantly critical of the church. Um, he wanted to be excommunicated by the Pope. 
and he would tweet that every single day. Um, you know, the movie definitely has some like really dark stuff. It's not a watch that, you know, it's not for the faint of heart. Like he had some pretty intense things happen to him in his childhood that I think are best described perhaps in his own words. What did you make of all that? That, that it seems like, you know, people for a long time, like wondered like, you know, what was so intense about like, where, where did this guy's like intensity and anger and like, like how he would get fired up over like victims and like people who were marginalized by like the powerful and like the government. Well, I thought it was so fucking amazing that he basically charged in head first to attack the problem that created the circumstances that he suffered like his his abuse when he was younger he went head in for the cause of you know anti-child pornography when he took fucking aol literally to the senate judiciary and this those uh clips with the shithead lawyer and uh Strom Thurmond and Russ Feingold just acting like fucking morons about... Like, Strom Thurmond seemed to think that the problem was children being able to, like, circumvent, like, the uh, family parental controls. And Russ Feingold just seemed to act all, like, ignorant about the idea that this was even going on. Yeah, a bunch of those senators... It was a perfect microcosm of how Congress works, because a bunch of those fucking senators were like, well, I never used no stinking internet, because it's back in, like, 1995. And it's funny, because you said... You talked about Strom Thurmond, who's, like, a relic of the civil rights era or the opposition to the civil rights era and then you have like chuck grassley's in there so you have a past and present and of how congress is shitty and then also the future of how congress will continue to be shitty and it's really kind of this weird like mr crimmins goes to washington fucking moment where he just is able to speak truth to power and he eventually kind of he scored a lot of victories in forcing aol to deal with the issue of child pornography being distributed on its in its chat rooms and stuff so very inspirational i don't remember seeing a documentary in a long time that just captured a person like their whole essence and like someone that like we all should know about his loss definitely like hit me kind of hard just as a fan of his i'd seen this movie a little while ago and i'd heard him on uh, the radio and uh met him a couple times uh there and just man you don't see a lot of fucking like explicitly like lefty people doing like a stand-up comedy these days it almost like doesn't seem like the right venue for it but someone like him he like kind of like cut through you know somehow also some other things that i thought found so inspirational about him was that he was unable I, I, when I, when, it's funny, you said like it was such a shame for him to die. I, given this is like my first time hearing of him, I realized watching this, I was like, this guy could only come to me in, in the way that he's already fucking dead. Like, <laughs> there's no way I would get to see someone like this, someone as brilliant, just at, at the height of their powers, because we live in hell world. So, yeah, I, I just uh, definitely a great documentary. Uh, someone, I think, if you're lefty stuff and, uh, you know, human rights, uh, it's a really interesting guy. Yeah, or comedy even. There's so many legendary comedians who are in that and who owe like a life debt to him. Even people who were like kind of right wing, he still worked with them and had solidarity with them as comedians. Definitely a brilliant documentary about somebody who was sort of like us, you know, as critical of his supposed allies. Like he goes in on the current Pope, Pope Francis, and Jimmy Carter, who people ostensibly would think he would be aligned with, but for whom are people who are causing more harm than good by pretending to be on the right side of history. So he's just biting and brilliant, and I am going to get a lot more into him in my future you know, content intake. So this was another thing that I've been seeing a lot lately. This 
Eli Roth directed Death Wish reboot starring Bruce Willis. Uh, let's play a little bit from the trailer. I love my family. But when they needed me most. 911, what is your emergency? There's men, they're breaking into my house. I think they're here. <gasps> no. I failed to protect them. Dad, where's mom? The men who did it are out there. So there's nothing that you can do? Is that what you're saying? If a man really wants to protect what's his... I want to buy a gun. He has to do it for himself. We're closed, pal. We'll kill my wife! Who else was there? I don't know anything else. I believe you, Joe. You're not gonna kill me. No. Jack is. You got caught in some crossfire? The ice cream man done it. The ice cream man? Can't walk to school if you don't work for him. Who are you? Your last customer. This movie was delayed after the Las Vegas shooting because <laughs> apparently there was... It was really bad timing, and the current Rotten Tomatoes score is 11%. The critics' consensus is... The Death Wish is a little more than a rope retelling that lacks the grit and conviction of the original. And and this is the kicker. Also suffers from spectacularly bad timing. And the, the, the great take is, like, when is it a good time for, like, wh the, when is there enough space between, like, gun gun massacres in this country? Like, it happens every fucking day that, like, this movie would be, like, uh, you know, tasteful. <laughs> Yeah, and there's no, like, uh, statute of limitations on grieving. People are still upset about a lot of shit. So you have to respect that. And I don't know. There's no, like, reasonable time after which you can make jokes about mass shootings. I don't even know. I'm not someone who's, like, against, like, violent movies. Like, it's totally, you know, great. But I, I just read that. Like, the funniest, like, headline I saw was, like, Death Wish is, a, I don't know, it's like a wish fulfillment for the Breitbart crowd. Can you go into a little bit of the plot? I don't really know much about it. All I, the only not exposure I've had to this is that if you any watch any bullshit on Viceland uh, on your computer, it plays the same three ads like every fucking commercial break, and this is one of them. I've heard it a million times, but I don't know anything other than the fact that it has like ha Hank from Breaking Bad and like Bruce Willis. Well, yeah, so I think the main thing you gotta know is Bruce Willis, his whole family, I think, is, like, murdered, and he, like, you know, is just trying to kill the guys who did it. Your classic Hollywood formula. And so, by the time this comes out, the Oscars will have passed. I, I, I went on a limb on my uh, little ballot that I gave to my friend and said... Get Out will win Best Picture, so let's see if I'm right. Definitely fucking not, because everyone in the Academy is a fucking moron. And case in point, Sam, what happened in 2006, Sam? Do you recall? In 2006, Crash, the god-awful fucking slice-of-life racism movie, won Best Picture over Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> Brokeback Mountain is so fucking good. Have you watched that, like, as an adult? No, I have not. It's, I genuinely think that is like a real, like, definitely one of my favorite Ang Lee films, but also just, I don't know, it seems like it was courageous at the time to put out there and like, EW put out this story about how Crash, which in hindsight, like, it what an embarrassment, like, 
it, it basically all it had going for it was it vaguely had a take on like that like racism like it'll all be okay and like we'll all help each other in the end even though we're horrible to each other all the time and like clearly like that like liberal fantasy hasn't panned out so much like in the current landscape and uh, you know it had Sandra Bullock, Matt Dillon, Terrence Howard, you know it had like an all-star cast and Ludacris Ludacris was in it and Ugh, it's such a fucking bad movie. It's directed by Paul Haggis. And... It's one of those movies that's like pretends to be anti-racist, but then parrots a shitload of racist stereotypes in the name of anti-racism. I don't want to say it's like, oh, it's because of homophobia, like only that Brokeback Mountain didn't get the award. But for example, the article brings up that even now, like every Heath Ledger performance, like since he died, we kind of do elevate them in a way we might not have at that point when they yeah. were like voting but it's you know the the crusty old white male audience it, it seems like they definitely saw an out like okay we don't have to vote for the like you know the movie where they have like ass sex but we can do the uh movie where the cop like sexually assaults a black woman and, and then he saves her in the end and it's like oh god it's such a bad movie we have to play the dialogue from like one of the scenes with the with the korean truck driver or whatever and then the FBI said, oh, no, we can't no, have that. The brave in a land of the free. I know. Let's give the niggas this music by a bunch of mumbling idiots. And sooner or later, they'll all copy it. And nobody will be able to understand a fucking word they say. End the problem. What the fuck was that, dog? Man, we done ran over a Chinaman. You're saying there's a Chinaman under this truck? What part don't you understand? There's a Chinaman stuck underneath the fucking truck. Help me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, God. What the hell did he do? Just leap out in front of the truck? Man, this is so completely fucked up. Oh, really? No shit. Okay, hold up. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Get back in the truck. What? Yes, get back in the you truck. Think we didn't drag him far enough? No, no, we're gonna drive away. And he's gonna let go. He's not gonna, gonna let go, Anthony. You know why? Because he's stuck underneath the fucking truck. Oh, God. So fucking embarrassing to listen to in 2018. Yeah, honestly, then it was embarrassing, but it's all the more embarrassing now, especially since this is this one best picture. Well, we saw Moonlight one last year, so I guess some of those taboos are broken of uh, fucking over 10 years later or whatever i actually rewatched get out last night and i'm so always blown away by its fucking like economy and just how perfect every scene is every performance is great just a such an imaginative and well executed film from someone who had never directed a movie like that before jordan peele well he never directed a movie before at all yeah all right let's go into story time sam uh you have the floor all right folks uh i think we have an unspoken rule on the show that we're supposed to like switch off in terms of who contributes the story because dan and i are different people who have had different life experiences we've lived in different places and although we have a lot of stories in common i think the stories that sometimes are the funniest are the ones that 
maybe we haven't heard about one another when because these are a lot like dan i didn't know the thing about the your fight with the guy on the subway with the baby hand <laughs> the one arm the the baby handed man who yeah. uh, made fun of my he shamed my body on the subway <laughs> and then then you you caught him baby handed but either way check back to the episode with that story and i think it's fun for us to tell you ones and dan i don't think you know this story so i used to work at a cocktail bar it was like it was in uptown new orleans it was pretty upscale they're well known enough that i'm probably not going to sh- mention it in any kind of bad light so i won't tell the name but anyway they it was a great place to work they're great guys and this fucking story is one of the weirdest service industry stories i have and i have a lot of weird service industry stories they're in New Orleans, there's like a weird mix of people. Obviously, a lot of them are transplants, and every transplant is kind of different. There is one particular subgenre of New Orleans transplants that are people from Texas that really, really, like a big part of their identity is that they are from Texas. Like Danny Hall. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any friends or acquaintances, like anyone you met at college or in New York, who were like this? Yeah, I know a couple of Texas people. They're, you know, they're they're pretty friendly. They're they're interesting. But do you have any people who are like that's like part a bit like their identity in a way? Like they wear, uh, like they wear cowboy hats or like boots or like they're like now nah, listen, son. Uh, now nah, I done thought about this. It's like you know, I, I I don't think I have anyone that hasn't like assimilated. I guess I don't have like met very many friends who are like this. There, I definitely met a bunch of people at college who are like this, but working in the service industry where we all kind of judge people. If you're front of house, you're judging the people you're serving. Sorry to say we try not to, but it, it inevitably, how happens. dare you <laughs> deal with it? Yeah. I don't know how I would judge you instantly, but I'll, I'll save that for later. Either way, I fucking, it was an average Sunday night. Sunday nights tend to be very weird New Orleans is kind of like a gothic place at night. It's very dark. There are a lot of people who dress up as like pirates and shit. There's a lot of like adult goths around. And uh, the fucking cowboy guy walks in. This, he's, I can tell he was like a Texas guy. And by Texas guy, I don't mean someone from Texas. I mean a guy who wants to tell identifies as Texas. Am I wrong go, to think of the cowboy from Mulholland Drive? Yeah, yeah. Or or the cowboy from what is that? The the big Lebowski too. <laughs> <laughs> There's certain people who like it they identify as it. And they can be good like the cowboy in the big Lebowski or they can be really fucking nauseating. And this guy was pretty nauseating. And like the whole night I couldn't tell if he was with a particular table. I thought I saw him by himself for a while and then but sometimes people peel off from their tables. But I noticed he kept hanging around this one table, and then he switched. He was there for hours. And I was like, motherfucker, this guy's going to close the place out. There are certain people who come in. It's never – it's not a good thing. If you're spending, like, seven hours in a bar and you don't work there, like, you know, I don't want to diss any regulars. But, like, if we haven't seen – if I haven't seen you before and you're just all of a sudden – like, you know, obviously we want your business, but it's also a little odd and off-putting and – Sometimes they don't end up well, and this guy's a very good example. This guy, by the 
throughout the night he kept doing weird stuff he was getting drunker and drunker at one point he asked one of the bartenders if they could play country western music at the time we were lifting to listening to craft work the german like like electronic like proto electronic group and the bartender responded this is really the closest we have to country western music <laughs> just to like mess with the guy because he was so just out of line by this point by the end of the night though he i guess they hadn't carded him so a good reason why i'm not mentioning the name of the place but they they hadn't, hadn't necessarily carded him and he fucking said I, I guess he didn't have any id so <laughs> when it came time to pay they he didn't have a credit card or any money on him. And not only that, he didn't have any ID. The only thing he had for ID was a fucking letter. And the letter was a notice of the suspension of his driver's license. <laughs> so, and now this guy no a, money? He was <laughs> no money or anything. And he was just so preposterous looking. He was like, this is why you have to get a card from everyone also, like a credit card. Or no, I'm, I'm sorry, I th- I'm, I'm misquoting. I think they got the credit card from him, but it bounced. And then he had no money on him. And they were like, okay. And he had no ID. And by then, everyone had left. This is like closing time. It's like pitch black <laughs> outside. And there's no cars outside on the street. Like, like I said, this is uptown New Orleans. It's not the French Quarter or anything. It's not popping all the time. And it's pretty dark on a Sunday at like one in the morning as this like as we're finding all of this out. And so, like I said, the only piece of ID he has aside from his stupid like he's wearing like a flannel and like his cowboy hat and boots. Like he looks like a Woody doll come to life. He's <laughs> just such a cartoon. Jesus. And. He fucking, it's, he's like, I'm going to go look in my car for the money. And I was like, okay. So I see him just get in his car and obviously he just takes off. Like he just drives away. Not only does he have no eye driver's license, his, the notice of the suspension of his driver's license is sitting in the register at the bar because he uses collateral for him when he walked out of the bar after not paying. But well, I remember one of the bartenders was like, do you think we should call the cops? And I was like, he's clearly driving drunk with no license right now. I, I don't know what to, that is... I'm like, I'm speechless at this. Like, it's the kind of thing you like, you always fantasize about like dying and dashing or like not paying at a bar, you know, like, oh, it'd be great to get all this stuff for free. But it's like, when you hear about it from the, like actually occurring, but like from your perspective, like behind the the thing, it's like, oh my God, what a fucking, (laughs) what a fucking (laughs) wild man. Let me say that. I mean, the, the, the owners were not going to, did not like, they didn't demand the money out of the bartenders to do anything heinous, like take it out of their tips. I mean, it sucks that the bartenders had to serve this guy all night, and he's not going to tip them because hey, of the money. One of the core principles of our show is stealing is usually fine. Yeah, in this case, it's dubious. I don't know about this stealing. It just seems like you wanted to hang out and annoy, especially since he annoyed people the whole night. It was like joining random tables, and people were just like, who is this fucking cowboy floating around and like <laughs> demanding that we listen to country Western music and shit. <laughs> it was just a weird experience. And um, it kind of reminded me of this old time in, especially in, you know, like the, in Texas or like the Midwest and the South where you could just write bad checks and pull like classic kind of like paper moon, like con man shit. <laughs> Just a nice, good old boy uh, down south trying to uh, make a difference. 
Now, ma'am, tell me how much you got in that register. Now, what if I turn your 20 into two tens, and then I turn your two tens into two fives, and then you give me five of them tens back, and then, like, it seems like he would run those kinds of shits, like, up and down, like, I don't know, the, the Texas-Louisiana border. So let that be a lesson to you. Don't be a deadbeat cowboy. <laughs> yeah, don't make, like, working people serve you and then not provide them the, like, you know, fucking... <laughs> Yeah, because you also don't know that, the like, if you do that, you don't know if that's a bar where the owner is going to not take it out of their check or their tips or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's I'm sure there's a lot of small move. businesses that would, like, do that, you know? No, absolutely. So, don't do that, but I, I just want to share that little slice of oh, that's a Louisiana fucking, life. That's a fucking southern tale, if I've ever heard one. A nice... <laughs> A nice tale of, uh, of values and, uh, you know, the Southern way of life. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to everyone who, you know, worked there, if you remember me at all. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. So that's it for the plunge for this week. Again, um, we're on iTunes now, uh, as in addition to Stitcher and SoundCloud. So give us a rating, please. Please, if you're listening on the iTunes store, give us a rating and uh, review us because that helps apparently get us uh, out there. Tell your friends. And if you social media at us, we'll start mentioning, I think, some of our social media interactions on the show so you can hear your name on the air and stuff. That's right. we'll, We'll do that. That's the least we could do. And again, I'm at... Spaventacular on Twitter. That's at S P A V E N T A C U L A R. And uh, Sam, where can they follow you? At Wagstank, W A G S T A N K. Oh, I'll also link it to the show notes. I'm doing a naturalization clinic coming up in next week. So if anyone in the DMV area wants to show up and do some naturalization forms for needy people, then do it. You don't need any like prior training or anything. They train you on the spot, and it's good stuff to do. So do that. Cool. And you can hear me on the Craig Ferguson Show and the Talking Shed Show weeknights at 6 p.m. and then Saturdays at 11 a.m. for that uh, Talking Shed wrap-up show. Um, yeah, it was fun. All right. And that'll do it. Goodbye. Bye.